0: Analytics with Mike Lewis, the podcast where we talk about everything you need to know about sports analytics. Here's your host, Mike Lewis, marketing professor at Emory University. Hey, welcome everyone. Welcome to the Fanalytics podcast with Mike Lewis and Doug Battle, uh, brought to you by the Emory Marketing Analytics Center. We are continuing our series of essentially forecasting The NFL season based on a new quarterback performance metric called QB wins. Doug, before we get into the AFC South, anything else you want to talk about in the world of sports?
1: Let me think here. A few things. The NBA draft quietly happened.
0: Three million viewers.
1: Three million viewers. I mean, I'm an NBA fan. I had no idea it was even coming up. (laughs) and <laughs> until the day of okay
0: I've, I've got a theory that that is kind of a, a a real key metric for where the real hardcore fan base is so maybe it's the number of people that watch the draft multiplied by two or something. right so six million five million hardcore nba fans in comparison i think the nfl draft did again we're, uh, there's almost this magic number for these mega events of 10 or 12 million right. people I think the NFL draft was right in that range of 11 million people. So about the same as the Oscars.
1: Yeah, so uh, one key difference I noted between the draft and the NFL draft was that anyone who hadn't been following mock drafts for over a year probably would not have recognized more than three names in the entire draft. A lot of foreign guys, a couple G League guys, and then college basketball, you, you don't get to know the players. They're there for such a short period that there's not that brand building. College football, there's at least three years in every draft. I feel like the whole first round, it's like, to me, as a football fan, I feel like for any football household, these are household names across the board. Even going into the second and third rounds, NBA, number one pick is usually a household name. I don't think that was the case this year. Beyond that, unless it's a Zion Williamson year, the bulk of the draft is just a bunch of random people, and it has nothing to do with their talent. Because if you watch these guys' tapes and stuff, I mean, there's some phenomenal talents, just as much talent as there's always been in the NBA draft. But the interest is just not there.
0: I think it's I think it's almost reduced now down to people that it's not even college basketball fans, right? Mm-hmm. It's it, you got to be a high school recruiting fan, yeah, right? Because you got to know that uh, what's the guy named Chet Holmgren. Yeah. That he's like, you know, there's a seven foot tall kid in the Minneapolis suburbs, and you know he's a five star and top rated player in the country, and so the recruiting guys know about a kid like that for years and years. He comes, has a cup of coffee at uh, Gonzaga, into the league. What was he? Dra- I think he was drafted second, right? Yeah, he was second. Um, but there, but there's no, there's no cultural brand equity there. I mean, it's it's real niche, right? It's the guys that subscribe to. Rivals or two four seven sports.
1: Yeah, and even beyond those guys though, like next year, number one prospect, Victor Wimbayama.
0: See a high school kid right now?
1: He is abroad. And that's that's okay. half of the yeah, I mean he's high school yeah. age. That's half of the prospects these days. And so it's not only do you have to keep up with high school recruiting in the states. You've got to be a EuroLeague fan, and you've got to be a G League fan because they're getting a solid amount of the high school talent from the United States, not to mention the occasional Australian league or or one-off foreign league where there's a, a top prospect. And so it's very difficult. It's not like college football where they're all in one league. They play there for three years. You watch them, the same players, same teams over and over again, see these stories unfold, and then see them come into the draft. I mean, four of the five Duke starters went in the first round this year. So if you're a Duke fan, you are familiar with those guys. But even like for the the more casual basketball fans, Duke didn't make the national championship game. They made the final four. But yeah, you know, how many viewers were there? Was was that like another?
0: I think there were about 15 million, um, fifteen, sixteen. And again, I could be getting this wrong, but I think they were a little sort of above that for the North Carolina Duke right. game because that was right. the I final think that's four where game. they. That's kind of where they peaked.
1: Yeah. So anyway, uh, the NBA draft becoming a non-story. I feel like that used to be a huge story, like the type of thing where we would do a whole episode making predictions, just like we do for the NFL every year.
0: Like it's, I'm with you, and in some ways, it's like the NBA has chosen this kind of strange path now, where they're all about social media and some celebrities, but the NBA obviously cares more about international than it does the states, right. You know, that's their long-term play. And so the investment of, you know, kids coming into the league, God, I mean, you're, you're not old enough to realize how striking the difference is, but can you imagine the excitement when Michael Jordan and Patrick, magic Johnson were getting drafted and, and coming into coming into these cities, you know, the, the spike in season ticket sales. And now the NBA draft seems to be rapidly fading towards the level of, like, the MLB draft. Right, uh, right. It's not, it's not inspiring hope. You no. know, I mean, if you had the first or second draft or you had a top five pick this year, do you think that's going to catapult your team from wherever they were at to being a title contender? Well, I think I, the answer
1: is no. Well, I will say this, though. Yeah. I mean, if you're just being purely rational, it's more likely for that to happen in the NBA draft than in the NFL draft. Because NFL, you've got 22 starters. NBA, there's just five guys on the floor. You, you draft two, like some teams have two first-round picks or two lottery picks on any given year. You draft two future All-Stars in one yeah. draft, your team can go from bottom feeder to, I mean, we, we've seen over the years, Oklahoma City Thunder, these weren't in the same draft, but Kevin Durant, James Harden, Russell Westbrook, back-to-back-to-back. To back to back. Uh, Golden State Warriors, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, the draft can drastically turn around a franchise that is struggling any one year. I don't know if any other sport more so than basketball because there's so few players on the court at one time. And so there actually is more potential for a turnaround and that hope of a turnaround with the NBA draft. And yet there's so much less excitement than a league like the NFL.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I mean, part of it is too that, we've moved away from these guys being finished products, right? When Michael Jordan hit the floor for the Bulls and whatever that was of something like 84. Right. Jordan might have been the best player in the league the moment he stepped on that floor. Right? Yeah. Um. Now these guys are, even if they're going to be future all-stars, they're almost like developmental prospects.
1: Yeah. You, right? I mean, and even you like a, if you draft a Giannis Antetokounmpo. Yeah. It's,
0: the finishing school aspect of the college game is gone. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah.
1: No, I, I agree with that. Um, so that that's a big non-story to me. Uh, NBA <laughs> NBA off-season is always fun, though. And July 1st is right around the corner. Kyrie Irving drama. Another Kyrie Irving saga. It seems like every year it's like, oh, the Kyrie Irving saga. It's never ending.
0: Got to get a Kyrie Irving jersey for myself. I just don't know which team to have on it. Yeah, you, know?
1: you might as well just go ahead and get you a Lakers one because that's where the rumors are right now. Kyrie to the Lakers. Kyrie to the Lakers. That show.
0: partnership has worked well in the past.
1: <laughs> yes, it has. And <laughs> it will be ironic because I, I want to see Durant go back to Golden State and Kyrie go back to uh, LA and just basically as a symbol of those two players realizing, okay, I thought I could win without a super team. And then I made a mini super team and then it didn't work. And I'm just going to go back to the whole super team thing to win some easy rings. But No, I don't actually want to see that. I like the balance of the league this last year, last two years, and I'd love to see that continue. Nevertheless, lots of NBA drama around the corner. Hope for teams to turn things around or take it to the next step. I've seen all kinds of Lakers fans throwing out scenarios, but even like Atlanta Hawks fans in Atlanta talking about Murray from San Antonio potentially putting together a package with a lot of first-round picks to bring him in all kinds of scenarios being thrown out left and right rumors, watch bombs on Twitter. It'll be an exciting time for NBA fans in July.
0: It's always kind of interesting. You know, one of the things that we've a little bit of a look ahead and the data is being processed right now is our annual next generation fandom survey. And and we didn't talk about this, but it's, uh, you know, looking at that survey data, especially looking at younger people. And I do count you as a younger person, Doug, as, uh, I
1: appreciate that. Not everyone does.
0: Well, and, and again, you're right on the edge of Gen Millennial. You're you're a old uh, you're an old Z or a young millennial.
1: I don't identify with either.
0: That's fine. Uh, but if you look at the fandom for those two kind of that kind of grouping, you know, basketball's hanging in there pretty well, and you know, the NFL is kind of global. But it's interesting that you're talking basketball, and we're in the middle of the baseball season, and baseball is getting decimated when you get to those yeah. that that youngest cohort especially the not and not even just yours doug the younger group of gen z's baseball is scores below soccer and e-sports and even the olympics it's truly uh you know we got to talk some baseball at some point but
1: you know, I, I again prefer, I just it was a
0: thought that occurred as you start talking about when you start talking about the, the uh summer league and the NBA.
1: Yeah, that's that's a great point. And baseball's interesting to me because the local fandoms are so passionate. Like yeah. Braves fans. That's the Braves I, I my Twitter feed was just blowing up Braves Dodgers the other night. The the local fans are so passionate and yet for whatever reason, unlike the NBA, the NBA almost feel like most fans are just fans of the league; they're not really fans of a team like a Braves fan is. Well, they're fans they, of players, right? Yeah, players, but yeah. but multiple players. So yeah. I'll talk to like I'll talk to guys all the time, and be like, "Oh, who do you pull for?" And they'll be like, "Ah, I don't really have a team. I love Luca. I love Damian Lillard. I love Giannis. I love." So it's like they've kind of got a hand in the whole league. Whereas with with baseball, it's more specific to one team, and even football. Can be the whole league because of things like fantasy football, yeah. where we we kind of have to watch every game because we've got a dog in every fight. Baseball, I know that there is fantasy baseball and other people that play it, the hardcore baseball fans, but f- for whatever reason, it has a much more local draw yeah. where the passion is there. The, you go to Braves Dodgers the other night; the passion is absolutely there. Same passion you'll see, and maybe even more passion than probably more passionate that game than any regular season nba game and yet at a, at a national scale it becomes a non-story the it's not as capturing to journalists there aren't the big name brands as far as players that there are in the nba and the nfl of course as we know is just a whole nother level yeah, yeah.
0: there's no there's no reggie jackson at this point um, right okay uh so doug let's get to our
1: they need steroids.
0: Yeah. <laughs> they, need, uh, they need 70 home runs a year, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, so that's... You know, and the funny thing is we laugh, but there's got to be some truth to that. That uh,
1: Okay. Hey, so. man, I grew up with Mark McGuire, Barry <laughs> yeah. Bond, Sammy Sosa. I thought those guys were all deities. And I don't know... I don't know how different my experience as a fan would have been as a kid if if those guys had been hitting regular numbers and looking like human beings out there
0: no very different right very different if it's 35 home runs versus 70 home runs you know there's uh and again it it, was
1: unbelievable it was spectacular i think that we crave something spectacular and nba you get that like lebron james and what he's done at 37 i know neither of us are like huge lebron guys but there is this level of and the NBA used to have a marketing campaign. It was like NBA where blank happens. And be like, where amazing happens was kind of the most usual one. But we want to see something amazing. We don't want to see a one-to-nothing baseball game that was walked in after bases loaded from other walks or the pitcher hitting the batter or something. Yeah, like, I feel like we we're want-
0: going down a rabbit hole because we could talk. You know, we we got to get back to this. And we'll get back to it. But we can, we there's too much we of a will. rabbit hole on where... What baseball needs to do. Okay, so Doug, yeah, our yeah. topic today Steroids. is the AFC South. Now, last time we talked about the AFC North, and that is that's my favorite division as a marketer going into the season. With uh, you know uh, Deshaun Watson going to Cleveland, Baker Manfield leaving Cleveland, uh, Joe Burrow you know, whatever he's going to do at Cincinnati's fur coats, diamonds, tattoos, cigars, you know, who knows where it goes. A quarterback, a young rookie quarterback in Pittsburgh taking on a journeyman. um, And then, you know, Lamar Jackson playing for a contract. That's the most compelling. I tend to think the AFC South might be the least compelling set of quarterback narratives in the league. But even then, as we dig into these teams, there's some good stories. I mean, the NFL quarterback is, we're just talking about baseball. I don't know that there are any baseball narratives as good as the average NFL quarterback narrative storyline no. going into a season. And that's what no. that league has got to figure out.
1: Yeah. Also, the, the AFC South is at a disadvantage because they're dealing with two new franchises and one relocated franchise. There's, really, there's only one historic NFL brand in that division and that's the indianapolis colts who by the way were the baltimore Baltimore colts Colts. yeah Yeah. and so it's a completely relocated and created division (laughs) it's not very spread out there's not a lot of history
0: i mean you know, never move your almost never you know i was gonna say never move your franchise but then i was thinking well there was a minneapolis basketball team that went to los angeles and things worked out They've done okay. But in general, don't move. I mean, the idea of going from, you know, number one my the team I'm projecting to win the AFC South are the Tennessee Titans. They move from the Houston market of, you know, Houston's probably a 6 million person market to essentially the Nashville market and they end up being ranked. So, they've been they've been great the last couple of years. I think 11 wins, then 12 wins. Uh, home field advantage, I think, in the playoffs last year, or, or close to it. Um, I, you know, what I, I should never, I should never go by memory. They had a really solid season last year. You know, in the in the fan base rankings, number thirty one. So even after a couple of decades, I think in Tennessee, they they have not gained any traction. And I got to think, if they were the Houston Oilers still, they'd be in a much better position in terms of marketing with the legacy of Earl Campbell and. You know, Bum Phillips and some of the, kind of the good stuff. The, have the Houston deployable.
1: Oilers would rank higher than the Tennessee Titans or the Houston Texans. Yeah. So that, that was a lose all around, long-term.
0: Okay, so Doug, the AFC South, Tennessee Titans, I'm projecting them at 10.3 wins. Okay, so again, one of the better records in the league. But I got to tell you, I don't like Ryan Tannehill. You know, when I look at the numbers he comes across as a pretty average guy. So if I look at the QB win stats on Ryan Tannehill, 1.36 positive in 2019, 1.2 positive in 2020, minus 1.1 in 2021, even though the team won 12 games and lost five, that's a really interesting position for a team to be in.
1: It is. I'm actually surprised that the data has Tannehill in the positive for a lot of his career. 1.36 2019. This is in in Mike's QB win statistic or metric. uh, 1.19 2020, and then of course 2021 took a significant step back to negative 1.14. But Tannehill to me has always it's always felt like the Titans are a Super Bowl team if they have an elite quarterback, and they just don't. And Tannehill's the best they can do. And every year, no matter how good the record is, it feels like come playoff time, it's going to come down to quarterbacks. Put Tannehill against an elite quarterback on the other side. Tannehill might throw some interceptions. The other quarterback might make some unbelievable plays. That's the difference. It's time in and time out in the NFL. And so to see him, I guess I don't know. Average, I guess, like over the last a two above seasons, average. it would yeah, a little above average is a little bit of a surprise to me. But that that gets back to the NFL. Average doesn't always cut it. Okay, well, Doug, I mean, you need me, elite. If, me me a lead if you're one. If you're one Super Bowls,
0: let me give you a fun fact about the Tennessee Titans, and, and again, I'm going to call this an internet fun fact because I got it from okay. the internet, so I don't know how true it is. The Tennessee Titans will have the most expensive quarterback room in the NFL next season. Excellent. In terms of you know the salary cap numbers, and, um, Ryan Tannehill's cap hit is thirty-eight point six million dollars next year, and so they That's come good. in with a couple of guys who. You probably haven't heard of they reach a total that exceeds, you know, Kansas City in terms of what they're paying their their quarterbacks.
1: So they went with the old if you pay the same average player an elite level of money, does it make them an elite player?
0: Well, Tannehill's contract signed before 2020 was $118 million. And so to me, this is like the the key to the NFL, the, the impact quarterbacks have on winning and the way the NFL quarterback salary market works, where if you've got a guy that's above average, you're going to have to pay him a near record deal oh, yeah. just every time for, for whatever reason. So you're talking about four year, $120 million over four years for a guy that I think most NFL fans would say is just a guy. Right. I don't know why we don't see more leagues kind of going, okay, this is a guy. We're not going to pay him that premium number. We're going to draft. I mean, let's draft a first-round quarterback and a second-round quarterback and see what we can actually develop, right? I mean, maybe you take a third-round quarterback every year and just kind of hope that you catch that lightning in a bottle.
1: Yes, I agree as far as the NFL tending to overpay average quarterbacks. I think back to Joe Flacco. He won a Super Bowl, by the way. I with think of Trent
0: Dilfer. <laughs> and, 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 okay. and, and I friend. think we're talking about the same oh, thing. Right?
1: Yeah. Joe Flacco, Trent Dilfer. I remember people thought that about Eli Manning, although I still hold my case that you can't spell elite without Eli. Get
0: had a great Wonderlick
1: score, remember? That, that's, a, that's a whole <laughs> nother podcast. Um, cousins, Kirk Cousins, was a guy that has had a pretty average career and got paid really well. Some teams just feel like they just need a quarterback. Also with Tannehill, this is kind of the classic example. And we talked about this last week with a potential scenario for the Baltimore Ravens, not putting Tannehill and Lamar Jackson in the same class. But if like the Titans are finally a playoff team with Tannehill and they've got a lot of other good pieces and they feel like, you know, as long as we don't screw up the quarterback position, we're going to be in the playoffs. We're going to be competitive for the next however many years. And yet you kind of know deep down they don't have an elite quarterback, they're not going to be winning Super Bowls. And that's the ultimate goal. Okay. Teams like the Titans often end up in a predicament where they're like, they either pay a guy like Tannehill or lose him, and all of a sudden, they go from being a playoff team to, I was going to say, lottery pick team, NBA terms. You know, it's it's (laughs) almost like,
0: you know, as your generation might say, a FOMO situation, right?
1: Yeah. A fear of
0: missing out of what you got a guy like Tannehill or and again, Matt, Kirk Cousins is, you know, I think the poster child for what we're talking about. I actually rate right. Cousins a little better than I think yeah. a lot of fans yeah. do. But, you know, and again, this is where the Ravens are going to come in of like the fear of pushing off a guy. And again, so if you're a Tennessee fan and your team just won 12 games and the year before they won 11 games, and then your team trades away or <laughs> drafts a young quarterback, does that seem kind of funny to, to you? I mean, it's like, What's actually going on here? Um, If you don't pay the guy, and you let him leave, and you try and get a different journeyman in there, it it feels like a dangerous situation for a general manager, I think, that the fans are going to rebel.
1: Right. It does. And so I, I think teams like the Titans end up with their hands tied, in a sense, and end up in these situations where they have a borderline Super Bowl team and an average quarterback who no one feels like will get them there. We've seen it happen from time to time. I remember Nick Foles won one with the, the Philadelphia Man. Eagles a few years back.
0: Rex Grossman failed to win one for the Bears. Oh, well. With the Bears, I mean, yeah, I, I do. But yeah. you, got, you
1: get the right defense and the right pieces. You can at least get a shot there. Overwhelmingly, having an elite quarterback is the formula in the NFL. And when you marry yourself to a guy, especially when you pay someone elite money where you're tying up your cap space, who, who's playing at an average level, that can, that can put a ceiling on your team and well, w- how far they can go.
0: Okay, here's your next question. So I think Tannehill's deal goes through 2024, which means that it's time to start thinking about an extension. No. Nope. Uh, okay, let's say I, I got the Titans projected at 10 wins, winning the AFC South. He gets you 10 wins. You got to extend them, don't you? You're, that's you're like how it works. That,
1: that's how people behave. I don't think that way. I want it. Not not if it's going to be at these levels, the cap space that's being tied up to average quarterback play. Think about average quarterback. We talk every year. The better rookie quarterbacks have similar stats to Ryan Tannehill as far as the QB wins metric, how much they're contributing to wins. So you could have a rookie contract that's a fraction of the price of what you're paying a guy like Tannehill for someone that has the upside to become an elite quarterback. Yeah. To become the kind of guy and take you to a Super Bowl for less money?
0: And, and you know what, Doug? I think, I think that's where the opportunity is in the NFL right now. Someone to yeah. sort of get smarter about managing cost-controlled quarterbacks versus putting big money on the journeyman guys. Right. Yeah. Okay. Number two in this division, Doug. I've got the Indianapolis Colts and Matt Ryan <laughs> forecasted 9.75 wins. You know, there's always these kind of interesting stories. Matt Ryan was traded from Atlanta, and the the local Atlanta fan base, I think, felt like it was a pretty significant hit of losing a guy that'd been essentially the, the Falcons quarterback forever. It's the version of the Matthew Stafford story of going from the hapless Detroit Lions to winning a Super Bowl. Can Matt Ryan come to Indianapolis? and get them over the hump and turn the Colts into a deep playoff run at least
1: I would say the difference between Matt Ryan and Matt Stafford is that Stafford is 34 years of age so I guess 33 going into last season Matt Ryan is 37 Yeah, so he's up there he's getting close to Tom Brady Tom Brady levels LeBron James levels not playing at that level though um, just the only number that's similar is age. And so I, I I look at Ryan at this point in his career until proven otherwise as more of a journeyman quarterback. I know that's not the career. He's had MVP level years. But at this point in his career, I don't see Matt Ryan being the guy who can write the ship. You look at his QB wins, really not all that different from what the Colts have had. And so to expect him to take them to that next level Oh, it's you're, you're betting against the numbers.
0: It's remarkable. So, if you look at the last couple of years, Ryan was above average. So, I think for the last three years, his average was 0. 0.4. But last year, he had a nearly identical score as Carson Wentz. They were Is both, it not the same score, they were well with rounding. So, it's okay. like,
1: okay. Th-
0: yeah, I mean, in terms of the article on the web, they're both listed as minus 0. 0.35 wins. They were numerically the closest two quarterbacks in the data. So it's, it was an interesting little thing that they switched one out to a guy that was almost identical. But you know, Wentz, Wentz has had some horrendous years in, in terms of his his statistics. Ryan yeah. has had some better years, but again, you you know, you nailed it. You know, Ryan is thirty eight, right? And so that is, you know, maybe the NFL has gotten a little bit foolish now with the uh the brady and the aaron Rodgers of this world of thinking right. these guys can go on for forever you know, forever but it's like th- you look at the data and ryan is trending downward and and sorry when i said 38 he's 36 now but 30 it'll be 38 in the last year of his deal um you know it right. doesn't it doesn't look good for another contract now. for uh for ryan to me
1: no, it doesn't, especially looking at his current contract. When he's 38, his, his cap hit's going to be $35 million yeah. that year. So you're, you're pretty tied up to a old aging and regressing quarterback, most likely. I don't love that situation if I'm a Colts fan. But the Colts, they have a solid team. It's, this isn't one of those deals where they're trying to start from scratch or, or build something. I think the Colts organization has to feel like we've got a contending team. We just need a quarterback that isn't going to throw it. Not <laughs> That was, of course, metaphorical. Um, probably not the best choice of words, but Matt Ryan is is going to hand the ball off <laughs> well to <laughs> Jonathan Taylor and uh, make, make the easy throws, and he's a smart guy, and he's a leader, and he's a guy who's been there. So I think that's probably more the rationale of the Indianapolis Colts organization. I think the fan base is probably echoing those thoughts to themselves to give themselves what every fan wants, which is hope.
0: So number one and number two, and this is the problem in the AFC South, I think our discussion just suggests that these teams are playing it safe. They're, oh, yeah. There's not a lot of... There doesn't seem to be a lot of the quarterback upside or quarterback excitement at the top of this division. And, you know, if there's not that quarterback upside and excitement, there's not going to be that team upside and that fan excitement. And so this feels, yeah. you know, my media narrative grades on both of the, you know, I think I have had the Titans at a D and I've got the Colts at a C or C minus. They, they strike me as kind of local stories at, at best. I mean, there's yeah. some potential if the Colts go on a run and Matt Ryan finds a fountain of youth, but it would surprise me.
1: It would surprise everyone, I think. But I, I going back to Matt Ryan's age with the Colts, it reminds me of, I saw a video earlier this week and it was like NFL, noteworthy NFL players. I think they used the term legends, but that was a little bit of hyperbole. F- playing for teams you forgot they ever played for. And it was Michael Vick for the Steelers. Uh, <laughs> Brett Favre with the Vikings. Fred Taylor for the Patriots. Randy Moss for the Tennessee Titans. Chad Ochocinco catching a ball for the New England Patriots. All It was so jarring and mm. weird to watch. But back in time, if you rewind any one of those acquisitions at the time, like when the Patriots got Chad Ochocinco, they were saying, is this the next Randy Moss situation? Where where he comes back to elite form now that he's in New England under Belichick. I'm sure that Pittsburgh Steelers fans, when they acquired Michael Vick, were thinking Super Bowl. Were thinking, this is going to be the peak of his career. And so, in hindsight, those all are silly, where you look at it and you're like, well, obviously Michael Vick wasn't going to win a Super Bowl. He'd already been to the Falcons, then prison, then the Eagles, and then the Steelers for however long he was there. But at the time, fans love to have hope. And I think with Matt Ryan, you start, you look at it and you say, hey, he was in the Super Bowl a couple of years back. He was playing MVP level a couple of years back. This could be where he cements his legacy in Indianapolis. That's probably what Colts fans are telling themselves, what Colts brass is telling themselves. And we'll see what, what unfolds with Matt Ryan. A
0: couple of years, You used a couple of years back like three times in that, which I think should be the warning sign that this is not going to work out, right?
1: Yeah, it's not what you want to hear. It's <laughs> in, not in what sports you want to hear. Yeah
0: okay doug at number three and like i said this is a this is a tough division this is a division that needs some needs some glamour needs something
1: (laughs) well they've got the big name here
0: well they've got i I don't know is it is it is it still a a year ago or has that does the name does the luster wear off really quick so the jacksonville jaguars and trevor lawrence football jesus right has the luster completely faded after one? This was one year.
1: This was the LeBron James of NFL prospects. I've heard his name since he was in the eighth grade. Um, <laughs> Trevor Lawrence. What was his QB win last year? I'm curious because it
0: was it was a minus two and a half. I think. Okay. So my, maybe minus two oh, more than 8. that.
1: Close close to minus three.
0: Yeah, minus two point eight nine. Which so, uh, <laughs> was bad, but it wasn't terrible because you also had uh Zach Wilson and um Right uh, and uh Fields.
1: Justin Fields. Uh, Trevor Lawrence First off, this that that whole number, like with Lawrence being a near minus three and the kid for the Patriots coming in at a close a, to a, zero close, close to break even Mac Jones. It makes me question whether you know how how well we're leveling out these situations here because it's hard to imagine Trevor Lawrence going to the Patriots and them actually losing three more games or two more games. Well, and again,
0: you know, I got to think that the one flaw in this is the separation from the quarterback and the coach, right? And that that's going to be the kind of the key thing, the thing that I can never you can that no one can really tease apart is yeah. again belichick versus and, and look i know a lot of people that aren't from you know probably almost everyone in the southeast conference reason uh region dislikes the guy because he left florida and the, the rest of the sec always hated urban meyer mm-hmm. but that urban meyer season in jacksonville was truly something to behold
1: yeah it was a train wreck
0: i mean you know assaulting players, um, whatever the situation was in the, the the bar with the, you know, grinding on the young woman in the bar. I mean, he, I cannot imagine a scenario where that maybe Lawrence and uh, Mac Jones were essentially the same level and Myers distraction is entirely responsible for, for lowering that score to something. And again, that's the sort of challenge in this kind of thing of forecasting the future. Um Yeah.
1: I, I could see Meyer as the next step in his career just getting into politics. <laughs> Couldn't you see that happening?
0: I got to think that career is over <laughs> at least for a year. But.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Trevor Lawrence is kind of a perfect example of what I was saying earlier about the NFL versus the NBA with the draft. There's The NFL, there's this enormous amount of hope every year with these really lowly franchises that have realistically no hope of turning things around in five years, in a five-year window. Maybe five years from now, things can change. But you think about the Detroit Lions years back when they drafted Stafford. That fan base felt like they had won the Super Bowl. They felt like, okay, now we have our quarterback. We're good to go. I think the same with Jacksonville. I think the same with the Indianapolis Colts when they drafted Andrew Luck. Where The the fan base feels like we've got the guy. This guy is clearly, he's going to be the elite quarterback for the next 10 to 15 years, and we're set. We just got to build around him. And the problem with the NFL is if you don't have an offensive line, if you don't have a defense, think of how many drafts it takes just to build a good offensive line. If, if the truly elite linemen are going in the first round, maybe early second round, it, by the time you draft five guys, your first couple guys are off their contracts and you're having to re-sign them. And, and, and so teams like the Jacksonville Jaguars have so much work to do that just drafting a player like Trevor Lawrence isn't likely to turn around in one season their wins. And in this case, statistically, actually cost them some wins. So, long way to go for Jacksonville. Mike, you have them at 7.1 wins this year. What do you see changing for the Jacksonville Jaguars? Okay,
0: so there's... The other thing that is probably underappreciated in the NFL is how much you know, because I think we always focus on sort of specific data points, but the NFL really does have a system in place that churns teams, right? That that, And again, you statistically, you call this reversion to the mean. Uh, in sports, mm-hmm. we think a lot about the term of competitive balance. So if you've got mm-hmm. a bad team, well, guess what? A bad team, you don't have to pay a lot of, you know, bump-ups and contracts. You don't have, you know, you don't have a lot of, coveted free agents, you also get to draft in the NFL draft. I mean, you just think about what this is. So the the top team in the league gets the first guy. The best mm-hmm. team in the league gets the 30th or something, right? And mm-hmm. so, and this goes on and on. And so uh, the other, there's a, and also a scheduling issue where the last place team plays more of the other last place teams. And so you've got this natural, these structures in place that bump teams up. Now it's interesting when, teams end up being bottom dwellers for a long time. But I think the natural thing is you do tend to see something like, oh, you know, you five, six-win team gets a little bit better, makes a, mm-hmm. over a couple of years, goes to run to the playoffs, and then kind of cycles back, back down. So there's a pretty healthy adjustment. So you got to remember what I'm doing in this forecast. It's changes in the quarterback, and it's also sort of looking at how NFL teams tend to evolve on a year-to-year basis. So the Jaguars get a big bump up in terms of the competitive, so we'll call it a competitive balance mechanism bump up. And I am forecasting that Lawrence does better than that minus 2.89. And that's where it's almost like I feel like I got to apologize because I'm trying to do this based on the numbers. But with a guy like Lawrence, with coached by a guy like Meyer, all I can really do is look at the data and go, hey, these other kind of top of the draft quarterbacks, they tend to, You know, maybe they start out as a minus one, and then they get to a zero in the second year, or they get to a Mm -hmm. one. So it's like there's almost this bias of I'm I'm going along with the Trevor Lawrence narrative rather than just purely looking at the numbers. Seven point one, I agree with you. That sounds like a lot for the Jaguars. Yeah, it does. But it's a seven and nineteen, right? It's not if
1: if the Jaguars go seven and nine, I think that fan base feels like we've got. We're on to something. We've got something here. Well, and let's you not want forget to, about. You want to place a little the, side
0: bet on that one, an over/under on this?
1: I don't know what our bet w- would be. I would bet against it. I would okay. bet against it. Yeah, I would bet against it. We'll, okay. we'll talk about so, this off the so air.
0: So I don't know what the stakes are, but you got <laughs> if the Jack if the Jack gets seven wins or more, I win something. Six wins and under, <laughs> you're winning something.
1: All right. Well, it's going to be hard for me to pull against them because Trayvon Walker. <laughs> Georgia Bulldog. Let's not forget about okay. The, and, there, the and there you go. Right, a defensive so was, lineman can make.
0: You know the the top defensive line prospect now joins Jacksonville. Right.
1: Right. Yeah. That's gonna that's gonna at least be a plus three for them. So <laughs> <laughs> I say that in sarcasm. Um, that's always an interesting one. That's that's another another podcast for another day. But drafting a lineman or a pass rusher number one and and feeling like, okay, this is going to turn our franchise around.
0: Well, I mean, look, I I will tell you that, you know, from, you know, years of studying numbers and it's this kind of old adage that you win in the trenches, that the biggest effects I see on quarterback performance are not from teams acquiring receiver or running back talent. It's purely the offensive line talent, Mm -hmm. which makes you think that it's like, you know, these, these skillful players may tend to be overvalued. And the reality is, if you do have the, the offensive line and you're protecting the quarterback, look, how many guys get to play quarterback in the NFL? You're saying, you know, there's 30 guys. Everyone is good. Everyone is talented. If you build that offensive line and you give them the protection, then maybe they, that's what creates the star receivers. And that's what then yeah. creates the star running well, back.
1: I, I think the perfect example in college would be my alma mater last year. I think Georgia probably had the best offensive and defensive line in the country. They didn't have the best receiving group; that was Ohio State or Alabama. They didn't have the best quarterback room; that was Ohio State or Alabama. But or Stetson. hey, Stetson <laughs> Stetson's a national champion, by the way. Yeah. And Stetson, I I am a huge Stetson defender. But that's not what I'm talking about yeah. here. I'm just talking about the team with the best lines won the national championship in college football. They dominated the trenches. The rest takes care of itself. We see that time and time again. They always talk about, you know, it's going to come down to who's going to win up front. Uh, it, it very often, while a lot of the highlights are the receivers and the running backs and and quarterbacks. I think the offensive line and defensive lines play a much bigger role in football than the casual you know, fan realizes.
0: <coughs> you know, Doug, I've literally never looked at it. How does uh, Stetson do in terms of quarterback metrics compared to some of the other guys?
1: I mean, We're it seems like we never talk
0: about quarterback metrics QB at the wins. level.
1: No, Stetson's done statistically great at Georgia. Like, if you're comparing him to other Georgia quarterbacks, well, like he's, what was a like, was
0: his touchdown to interception ratio, right? I mean, that's a that I think that's a real I mean in some ways when, on all this stuff, touchdown to interceptions is like the simplest metric that gets you the farthest.
1: Stetson Bennett, 2021, 29 touchdowns, seven interceptions. That's okay, how about elite.
0: the Alabama kid?
1: Bryce Young. He's gonna have way more touchdowns. Yeah, so he has a 47 touchdown to seven interception. Okay. So, but but it's a very 20, different... What did you say
0: it was 27 to, to 29, 7? 29. 29 to, 7? to 7. I bet you Stetson compares, you know, Bryce Young is kind of off the charts on that, but I bet you Stetson compares real favorably.
1: You know, well, that, that, that might me, be a
0: top five kind of ratio in the power five.
1: You asked about Stetson Bennett, how he compares number-wise. We compared him to Bryce Young, but like I said, this is a, a very different offense, a different system. Here's how Stetson Bennett compares to Georgia quarterbacks. QBR, you got guys Matthew Stafford, Aaron Murray, Jake Fromm, Justin Fields, Jacob Eason, David Green, DJ Shockley. Last season, Stetson Bennett had a higher QBR than any of these quarterbacks ever had in a single season at Georgia. Period. Yeah. He also passed for more yards this last year than Jake Fromm, Justin Fields, or Jacob Eason ever did. That's three five-star quarterbacks. And three guys who are currently on NFL rosters or s- have been in the NFL at some point in their career. That's that's more yards than they ever did in a single season at Georgia. That's Stetson Bennett. That's his first year, by the way, last year in the spring game. Four snaps. Four snaps mm-hmm. in the spring game. Very little reps in the offseason with the ones. No chemistry at all. That's how he performs. And there's still this this notion yeah. of he's the liability. You know, he's, holding, well, he's, he's the weakness this, for that it's team. It's this
0: cognitive bias, right, of that we anchor on something where you know trevor lawrence is this superstar so anything good that happens at clemson is trevor lawrence stetson bennett is this gritty walk-on great story (laughs) so anything good that happens to georgia is because of the offensive line and the running game
1: right etc it's uh right well i'm glad i had the opportunity to defend my guy because i i will stand by stetson bennett
0: i hope he makes I, i hope his uh you know, from some of the stories that have gone over, some of these NIL deals, good. Like, I think they're saying the Tennessee kid's getting 7 or $8 million. I hope Stetson's yeah, th- getting a $10 million package this year, which hey, will be the highest won't... he makes as a professional quarterback, right? Oh, of
1: course. Stetson Bennett won Georgia their first national championship in 40-plus years. He's going to be taken care of financially. I have no questions about that in the state of Georgia.
0: Okay, Doug. Last place. In the division, and I think this was my lowest overall forecast across the league, the Houston, Texas, and Davis Mills at 4.9 wins. This is a little bit of a tough one because I don't feel like I know a lot about Davis Mills, um,
1: which
0: which speaks to sort of the, again, the lack of publicity that generally occurs in the AFC South. Davis Mills was a rookie last year with a 1.2 QB win score. That score is not actually awful for a rookie. And it's kind of, when we think about last year's quarterback class, do we think about
1: Davis Mills? Outperformed our guy, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Zach Wilson. So we'll have to see what becomes of Davis Mills. All I know is that that kid has the longest neck in human history. (laughs) Have you seen his head? No. His, His neck is like six feet long. It's like, just type in Davis Mills neck. It's ridiculous. There's a lot of memes where where people will Photoshop it. Can you, can you
0: put that on the, can you put that on the webpage at WWJ? I'll put it. Well,
1: I'm just going to have a picture of him. And anyone that sees the picture will say, holy cow, that guy's got a long neck. Uh, But every time I see that kid, that's all I can think about. He's got a, if he becomes like a boy wonder for the Texans, uh, Tony Romo. Okay. You know what the
0: challenge is? Because obviously as I pulled him up, he has an incredibly long neck, which means there's this real tendency for the, the public, which are truly great people, to do a little photoshopping and make his neck even longer. Well, so they do. it's hard for me to hilarious. figure out the real one.
1: There on Twitter there there will be threads where it's Davis Mills neck, but with each tweet it gets longer and it'll be the same picture and they'll like make it longer in a thread by like one inch every single time until he's a complete giraffe. But they've got to come up with some nickname for him if he becomes Boy Wonder for the Texans. Davis Mills is the longest neck in NFL history. I stand by that. And, hey, if he's successful here, if if he has a Tony Romo career, Boy Wonder, out of nowhere, outperforming all these guys who were so highly touted, like Justin Fields, I think we're going to have NFL scouts not only measure hand size, but measure neck size. (laughs)
0: and we say, saying hey
1: that's there's something to it there's some magic in there don't know what it is but maybe it's the vision maybe it's the the mobility ability to scan the field i don't know
0: Yeah. okay and i think there's you know like it's it's a league that's a, i mean there's obviously kind of this herd mentality so who knows where that goes the houston texans are in some ways the worst team to talk about going into twenty twenty two, I think, because they're a team that feels like they're just taking a year off. I mean, even when they were looking for a new head coach, I think they signed, you know, they they hired Lovey Smith, but they hired him as an interim coach for a year. I, I can't remember that actually ever <laughs> happening, where at the you know, during an off season you just hire a guy as an interim coach rather than go out and find the guy that you want to lead your franchise for multiple years. It truly seems like they're gonna their their quarterback room is kind of hilarious. Uh, Kyle Allen, Kevin Hogan, Jeff Driscoll, and starter Davis Mills with Lovey Smith yeah. as the interim coach. It, feels it seems the, like it's the process, the NFL version.
1: Yeah. I get the feeling it's a placeholder coach, a placeholder quarterback. Kind of a wash of a season if you're a Texans fan. Going into it, it's hard to expect big things or have that hope that football fans love to have. I mean, I, as a Giants fan, the Giants haven't been in the playoffs in 10 years, and I've already started to to look at things and say, hey, they got a new offensive system. Daniel Jones, he might turn the corner this year. I'm starting to feel like, hey, maybe, maybe this will be a fun season. I don't know how Texans fans are able to do that with what they have and the placeholder feeling that their coaching situation and their quarterback situation consist of.
0: I can imagine sports radio in Houston is talking as much about Deshaun Watson's legal troubles and suspension as they are about anything to do with the actual Houston team.
1: Yeah. And for a, a franchise like Houston to finally find a quarterback that is truly elite statistically and, and have this happen, uh, it's a huge setback for the franchise. and. I I think they're probably I think that front office probably knows Davis Mills likely isn't the answer, nor is Lovey Smith. They're making it through a storm right now and they're hoping to to position themselves to hopefully acquire another quarterback with the upside of a Deshaun Watson, hopefully some character improvements in the next draft or two.
0: Yeah, definitely I mean in some ways it's in some ways I guess it's really an interesting division, right? Where you've got at the top of the division journeymen or above average quarterbacks for these kind of solid teams. And they're just trying to, they're trying to get over the hump, right? They're just trying to get into the playoffs. And then at the bottom of the Trevor Lawrence, kind of this, this, in some ways, Trevor Lawrence is probably what the Houston, uh, I was going to say the Houston gamblers, USFL. No, it's the Houston. (laughs) Again, I'm not even, that's, the USFL championship is this weekend, Doug, and that's always on my radar. Whatever anything happens in that league, but huge, the, huge league. You know, Houston seems to be playing for you know the ability to draft some new elite talent. Uh, Jacksonville is trying to make the transition and help help their their guy comes of age. And, and so it's like the bottom of the league is trying to develop the superstar quarterbacks. The top of the league has essentially kind of in this realm of maybe overpaying for journeyman guys to try and remain competitive. It's a, it, it's an interesting division, but I don't think it's a fascinating division, right? It's like, there's nothing particularly compelling happening anything here. There, there's solid stories, but there's no, like there's no Tom Brady. There's no Bill Belichick trying to overcome no. Tom Brady. There's no Joe Burrow. It's like we were saying maybe it's better than anything happening in major league baseball, but in terms of NFL and the, t- the level of narrative and storytelling that's needed, this division probably falls a little shorter, short.
1: Yeah. You mentioned Tom Brady. People forget when Brady left the Pats, the Titans were rumored to be making a huge push for him. And think of how different the AFC South would look with Brady right there. The Titans, a team that seems like an elite quarterback away from a Super Bowl maybe could have switched spots with a team like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as far as perception in recent years. Uh, Fandom, obviously, would, would be a totally different story, at least in the short term, for that franchise. And so as it is right now, the AFC South, to me, it feels like a battle for mediocrity at the quarterback position. That might sound like hyperbole, but looking at Mike's QB win stat, every single one of these guys was a negative number last year. So just to get to zero, just to get to break even, just to be an average NFL quarterback would be a win for a lot of these franchises. And as a fan, that's hard to get excited about. I do think this Tennessee Titans are the one team in this, this division this year that with what they have around Ryan Tannehill, they're really able to compete and position themselves to be one of those Philadelphia Eagles, Nick Foles, Ravens uh, with with Joe Flacco type of teams that can still achieve something spectacular in the NFL with an average level quarterback. We'll see what happens, Mike.
0: You know, Doug, I have not even caught that, but I think the fact that you noted that they were all every starting quarterback was a minus QB win score last year. Maybe that's the answer of why it doesn't seem like an exciting division. Yeah, right. It, it, maybe <laughs> it, it's it's that simple that. If you don't have the quarterbacks that are really moving the moving the needle in the win total, it's gonna feel blah.
1: It's gonna cause the Titans, they've been a winning team the last few years, but they still feel blah. And it it's like it feels like, well, they just win in boring ways or they win against bad teams or what the bottom line is they're not winning at the quarterback position. They're not winning because they're they're out passing the next team or outperforming out at that position and that's that's what fans love to watch and so I think it does feel blah um, for lack of a better term unless you have that elite quarterback.
0: Okay, complete write right up of the AFC South is at www.fandomanalytics. Next week we will get into the AFC West. Um I and you know, I think we got time for a last word or two Doug. The only one I the one I want to throw out here and again it's uh no offense intended you know this this show is about analyzing fandom, and so I think kind of the emotional responses and sort of the fan biases that you and I might bring in are are valid parts of this. Do you realize we did not even mention the NHL finals and so yeah, Stan- I just looked it up as we were we were talking the six game avalanche 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 lightning Stanley cup final average four point five nine million viewers on abc so mm. nhl finals is about half this kind of general less than half this kind of general rule of these these mega events of you know 10 million mm-hmm. people 12 million The people. oscars uh, you know for the right. oscars or the nba finals it's uh again we're getting to numbers that are very much you know i've used the word fragmentation but very much kind of segment marketing uh you know, it's kind of, you know, Tampa Bay is the most remarkable sports story that's never covered Is like their, Tampa Bay has great, great teams and also about every sport, but the NHL coming in at less than 5 million on ABC says something about where this is all going.
1: I think so, Mike. But I also think it's much like how the Buffalo Bills rank so poorly on our Phantom rankings, even though the passion is so yeah. extreme there. I feel like that's hockey. The hockey hockey is the buffalo bills of sports leagues because the bills fan or excuse me the NHL fans that I know the lightning fans that I know the avalanche fans that I know are locked in they're wearing their jersey I know people are traveling across the country to go to games it's all they care about it's all they talk about and yet at a national level it feels like a non story yeah so i i agree with that
0: hockey fans are the ones that they let you know they're hockey fans i don't see oh, a yeah. lot of it sitting here in in atlanta but In places like Chicago or or Minneapolis, other places I've lived, the NHL fans are probably the most, they're the SEC fans of pro (laughs) sports. They are the most into it. They have the most jerseys, you know, of their teams. They're the most hardcore fans. And I think they literally love it the most and they let you know that they love it the most.
1: Yeah. So I'll say my last word will be that I would love to develop a way to measure the hardcore nature of a fan base more so than just the broad reach of a fan base like a fandom rankings where the bills would rank first in the nfl or where where hockey would outrank the nba for example um i don't know how you measure that mike but Dug, I love I, to have- you know
0: i love where your head's at and, and in some ways that's exactly what i was always trying to do but you know what do you <laughs> you know, how, do you, how do you measure emotion? I mean, you can pick... Because what can you observe, right? You can observe... If you, if you follow social media, I can see that. If you're willing to yeah. pay $200 a ticket, I can see that. But right. how do you, now we're getting into... Uh, I don't know something something a little too deep for the two of us. How do you measure love based on marketplace?
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, we'll continue to uh, to develop yeah. our philosophy around that. But final, I, th- final I word. think
0: there's there's some sort of machine learning algorithm that's looking at the measure of face paint within an NFL stadium. Exactly. Right? That, that we exactly. need something like that. But again, public data, my friend.
1: <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, final word for me is subscribe to the podcast. We never say that, but it, it is cool to have people that subscribe and appreciate those of you that listen every week. I had a DM on LinkedIn recently from someone saying, hey, I listen every week and you know, appreciate what you and Mike do. And I'm like, that's awesome. It's, it's cool to know that uh, people are listening and appreciate you guys subscribing and reviewing and, and all of that that uh, we never mentioned on the podcast so appreciate it and, uh, you know, we'll, and we'll let me back. let me
0: add to that because that that's absolutely true and and in some ways look this is a uh, you got to think about what this we don't talk about what this project is really about i mean th- this podcast is to me this is continuing education right so this is you know imagine you've you've got your degree somewhere imagine it's from memory this is continuing mm-hmm. education because even though it's tongue-in-cheek and we're bashing disney and they're, butchery of the star wars the star wars franchise and we're having a little fun with this stuff everything we're doing is grounded in analytics and psychology and you know so there, there's a solid foundation so this is the thing of this is this is free continuing education that we're trying to put a decent candy coating on um but yeah no, absolutely. no tests
1: no tests no papers either no That's tests test, no kind of papers
0: <laughs> Okay, so with that, thank you, everyone, and we'll be back next week with the AFC West.